myself for thinking that way and then I put ourselves into this position where I feel like I always have to apologize <laughs> uh-huh. here we are again uh, here, here we are again just a scant <laughs> two weeks from from the last which also happened to be a samurai movie <laughs> yeah god and yeah, we're talking about samurai cop today I'm sorry. Did you just get sorry, done Brian. watching this? <laughs> no, I tried to watch it again, and I couldn't do it. Just to refresh my memory, I couldn't do it. Well, on that note, hello and welcome <laughs> to another fantastic episode of the Post Credits Podcast. Strap in for pain. Yeah, the pain, the pain. <laughs> Jesus, man. This movie is. On on one hand, it is like migraine-inducing bad, but on the other hand, it's also outstandingly funny. If if you're in a mindset of, okay, I know what this is, which when I first watched it, I thought you had sent me, a because I somehow hadn't heard of this movie. Apparently, it made a big resurgence over the last, like, seven years. It yeah. Had, it had yeah. gone, it was made in 1990, came out in 91. Actually, it never came out. Somebody bought the film rights in like Poland or something like that. And that was the only market this ever came to. Nobody had it. And then just all of a sudden, like one of the scenes popped up on YouTube. The uh, the star, should we call him that? I mean, I mean, technically he did star in the movie, but you know, normally I'd make a joke when you see a movie like this. It's like starring nobody, you know. Well, yeah, movie star turned uh, art theft, you know, art thief. But we'll get into that later. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, that, prison that, time, brother. It <laughs> takes a sad turn, but yeah, no, let's let's stay stay on mission here, <laughs> just for once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, but then I I'm saw Robert, but then I saw Robert Zadar in it, which you know, arguably, like, he either had the best agent or like just the worst agent because that guy was in fucking everything, like whether Tango it was Cash, Maniac Cop, you know. That's the thing, like you've got actual like A list movies like that, but then you've got movies like this where you know, and I think that's part of like just that super low budget thing of you can be the star in this low budget thing, or you can have a bit part in a tango and cash. Uh-huh. It's probably both about the same, you know, like if you think about it, like financially, it'd probably be about the same, like top build or, you know, character actor, yeah. you know, you, you make like the same amount of movie. The difference is whether you work two days or five months right right but this i will i will kill him and cut off his head and put it on your piano jesus christ dude shoot shoot him yeah oh you got him so you lost 
you lost face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just a million of them. So should we, I, I guess, explain that we, I, we never quite finished explaining what happened to the movie here. Apparently, plot? well, no, 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 just how <laughs> it kind of came but, back yeah. out and then had this cult yeah, following well, build up. The like the clip was of this horny nurse that started getting passed around on like YouTube, and it's with uh, the samurai cop and his partner, Joe Samurai. Just, yeah, his name is just... Joe Samurai. <laughs> Let's not let him get away with that, right? And like, it's also kind of a nickname thing. But he can speak Japanese apparently, but like can't ever say any Japanese name ever. So it's like, what's what's your name? Fuji Fujiyama mm -hmm. Yamaha Suzuki or uh, whatever, you know. So this like really awkward scene starts getting passed around. It's about this nurse who's like really over the top hitting on like Joe Samurai and just you know grabbing his junk, being like, but you don't have a big cock or whatever, you know. So lols got passed around like, look at this shit, it's a movie. And then, you know, people then suck their teeth into thinking that this is something we should cherish in cult status, which I disagree with completely after watching it once and then kind of watching like the highlights where I'm like, nah. So you're you're just good with the highlights and that's where you let it Yeah, that, let the eight minute best of Samurai Cop that you can find on YouTube that's my limit. Oh, that's longer <laughs> than the five-minute best of Samurai Cop that I saw. <laughs> yeah, I, you sent me the trailer initially, and I thought, like, oh, this is, like, one of those movies like Kung Fury where someone made a bad, like, a new old bad movie on purpose because, like, how yeah, how could this be a thing that exists? But it was, it was sort of the thing. It was totally a thing. Made mm -hmm. it, got buried. Like I said, there was like one. It came out in like one country. I, th I think, there's and like a legend of Samurai Cop, like, and that it was found in like a mystic castle, deep in storage somewhere, and no one knew who made it. Mm -hmm. So then they just grabbed the rights to it and put it out there. Some That's... company found it in yeah. a warehouse in California. Is what really yes, happened. which is actually like what really happened they just eh, it was in storage and we didn't want to do anything with it and then we just decided to put it out yeah that's all not in some like oh my god we found this crazy movie in this sacred room <laughs> well yeah but it, it sort of is though because it's like you know there's a market for these kind of movies nowadays with, with thanks to the room thanks to yeah yeah you know like there there are like oh my God, this is one of those kind of things. We could have the next Birdemic on our hands. And it turns out they did. <laughs> yeah. In a way. Did. You know. In a way. Yeah, ain't it cool news? It's like, it might be, it might be amongst the worst movies ever released to market, but therein lies the reason why it's so fun to watch. It's not the worst movie ever made. And I didn't have fun either. <laughs> well, again, you have to go into that with that certain mindset of like oh man i'm gonna watch this real real trash bag of a movie here and just enjoy laughing at it because that's really all you can do well i'm really happy that you were able to laugh at it it took I, it took I, I a while get there i it, never got there yeah and i feel like um 
even if I, I use some of my high grade marijuanas, my dispensary might not sell me that marijuanas anymore because I, I would have wasted it on this movie, you know, like, how dare you smoke and then, you know, watch this trash can. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just didn't have any fun with it. And I annoyed myself by watching it. So, but I'm glad there are people that can laugh at it. But maybe I've come to the realization that I think I like watching bad movies and I don't at all. And maybe deep down, I'm some sort of real life masochist because mm -hmm. I seem to put myself in these situations pretty regularly and then hate myself for it immediately afterwards yeah i mean it didn't sound like you hated yourself after ninja 3 the domination that had some more silliness that made it a little bit more charming right uh-huh like i could get through it because there were some things that like i'd still think about and laugh at but there's some things in this movie where it's just like the the objectification of women i just can't get past and that puts a sour taste in my mouth like it's like oh, God. hey you have a vagina and boobs i guess i want to fuck you i Can mean we do that it it's so i i even wrote that down like he's you know joe's joe's supposed to be in love with the one woman and he basically i mean not even sexually harasses like just crosses the line in a lot of cases <laughs> with literally everybody yeah. else like the helicopter pilot the horny nurse i mean everybody the like, other one that, just, that walks by and like, he just flips her hair yeah, yeah. yeah. frolicking on the beach you know mm -hmm. with his black speedo and her black thong and skimpy bikini and all that stuff i don't know man it just kind of gets a little old after like five minutes but then you realize there's like 20 minutes of this type of behavior in the movie you know yeah so a, a lot of that was scripted turns out <laughs> <laughs> of course of course i had this feeling and it was very much in the style of the room like when i was watching the room there you know there's this tommy wiseau is very famous for like trying to play it off like no no this i meant i meant yeah. to do this like this is intentional yeah. what i really felt like it had to have been was somebody who's second language is english they come into it and they think this is what americans talk like this is what american cinema sounds like to me with their you know broken accents they're not quite as fluent in certain vernacular things don't flow mm -hmm. into one or the other that's why the english is you know doesn't always make sense kind of yeah. starts and stops at like weird points and I really felt like this had to have been the same thing. And then I, I saw an interview with uh, Mark Hanan there, Joe Samurai himself. He's like saying that exact thing. The director, I believe, was Armenian. And, you know, he reads it thinking like, oh, I'm this nobody actor, but I, I you know, my agents tell me I need to get some footage for my reel. So, oh, I should be able to get some footage from this, right? Because they're just thinking like, oh, yeah. there, there'll be a couple yeah. shots or whatever. Like, we don't really care about this. Everything in the movie was like one take. Yeah. And people, uh, I noticed, I heard that too. And while watching it, um, there's definitely times when actors flub their lines and they just keep going. And um, it's the flubbed line is still in the movie. So I, I do believe that it was like one take and go. We're it, not doing it yeah. again. 
I mean, it's not even just the one take of the lines. It wasn't just limited to dialogue. The fight scenes are like that a lot. Yeah. Because some of the hits don't connect or like at a certain point, they thought they were done filming because they had filmed for like three months. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he he cut his hair thinking they were done with the movie. And then they're like, oh, no, no, we, we got more stuff to film. And it wasn't like one or two things. It was like they filmed for like another four months. So it's like yes. half the movie, he's got this wig that it's like it changes size. <laughs> and, you know, and it's, it's very feminine because it's got the it's not like a man's hair that's kind of straight or whatever. It's got this kind of like curl around the face type thing, you know? Yeah. And, and there's times where they're having the fight scenes and the wig pops off. Yeah. And then they just. <laughs> yeah, they just keep going. <laughs> And then it's yeah. back on in the next shot. You know, sometimes you could have just like, you know, cut it a little sooner and you wouldn't have seen that. Right. I don't know, man. That's, that's just, um, it's, it's pretty inept on a lot of levels, you know? And I, I think it's, you know, they always say the the road to hell is paved with good intentions here. And I, <laughs> yeah. I think in the case of the actors, you know, it, it's like what I said earlier, where like, rather than try and work your way up with like smaller roles and big things, you jump straight in thinking mm -hmm. like, Hey, I'm, you know, I can, I can lead a movie. I've never acted before. or had any experience, but I can pull this right. off. And well, and... that is what happened because the samurai cop, he was the um, stunt double for Sly Stallone for a few years. So he saw Stallone and was inspired like, Oh, I could be an action hero. He was a stunt do double for Stallone. Yeah. Yeah. What move? Because their body types are nothing alike. Brian from the future here, editing the podcast. Just wanted to pop in and make a quick correction. I looked it up. Mark Hanan was not the stunt double for Stallone. He was one of his bodyguards. And Matt was correct in judging the Tango and Cash Rambo 3 era. So not one of the stunt doubles, one of the bodyguards turned actor. And now back to Samurai Cop. Oh, I don't even know. I couldn't even find out that, you know, like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. But, you know, it was only for like three years. So maybe like the last Rambo movie of the 80s, because this was filmed in 90 and he had already stopped being the stunt double for Stallone by the time this was made so i'm mm -hmm. guessing like if it's even true uh 86 to 89 somewhere in there he okay. was maybe like and i i gotta say i don't think it was like i'm your main stunt double you know how it's like yeah everyone has that one guy i think it was more like for wide really really wide shots you know <laughs> like but yeah, he was inspired because he saw Stallone being an action star. So that's that's where his his jump to Samurai Cop yeah. happened from. So humble beginnings. Yes. <laughs> I could do that. I also find it really funny that this is like, they're really trying hard to be Lethal Weapon. Like so hard to be uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in this, you know. Uh, even down to Samurai Cop's apparel. So it's yeah. like the red hat, jean jacket, you know. Yeah, it is. So. It is very much like, but like the plot is like a lethal weapon ripoff. 
Yeah. They don't have any of that level of chemistry, but again, it comes back to the dialogue. And yeah. I mean, it's not even the dialogue too. It's like, you'll just have these bizarre reaction shots from the other actor playing, was it Joe? Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, he was Joe Samurai. I'm trying. I can't remember the other guy's name. I, I can't either. It doesn't matter. Not Murtaugh. No, it does. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, they'll just like ha- have these weird reactions. Like it's like they just set up a camera and they're like, hey, make some faces. <laughs> yeah. We'll just we'll cut it in somewhere. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Man, the chief's going to make turn you into barbecue black because I am black. That's right. What the fuck? What is he? That's not even a sentence that anyone would utter. Why'd you go under? Because I'm an undercover cop. <laughs> I also like uh, when they say, uh, uh, what, is, what does katana mean? That's, that's Japanese for Japanese sword. No, man. It's just Japanese for sword. That's what katana is. It's not. It's not. It's not like katana could be. There's like a different name in Japanese for an American sword, right? Mm -hmm. A katana is just a sword, and it's Japanese for sword. I was just like, that's, that's like forehead, slapping, you know. Well, and yeah, it's the katana gang, like you know, outstandingly (laughs) original. We practice uh, the way of Bushido, which is the way of the blade. You know, <laughs> just like what the fuck? I don't know. There's so many things that it's just. Uh, at, well, I was just gonna say like, yeah, they could Google, but this was made in 1990, so they couldn't Google that. But you know, yeah, I've. It's funny because I've been watching a lot of Batman 66 lately, just because I have that on Blu-ray, and I kind of decided to like I had gone through season one, and. It's like, okay, about a year has passed, you know, I'll I'll start watching it again. And it's funny that like the music in that sounds so much classier than the music in this, because it's like we open with the double dragon theme and then you just have like these really basic action cues. Yeah. Yeah. I laugh because I kid you not, the music sounds like Anamanaguchi you know this 8-bit retro like hey i i lifted this song out of the tiger video game system yeah you know like but, but they do it that's well. what it sounds like yeah gucci is yeah. great but yeah they do it this, well this sounds like one person with like a you know real primitive casio keyboard and then you're kind of like using the things that are on there as you're like demo <laughs> layers into thing like we need a drum line what's a drum line oh okay that drum pad yeah just take that i just hit yeah. some keys over top of it i mean yeah what a one weird thing that i also noticed in my eight minute refresher course on youtube was uh how weirdly framed everyone's faces mm-hmm. i got a question as a movie maker yourself do you frame a close-up with the person's head in the exact center of the frame every single time. You know how odd it looks when the eyes are the center of the frame? Because now you have their jaw almost touching out of frame, their forehead, and then like four inches above their forehead in the frame. That's not, 
doesn't look well. No, it doesn't look good. Yeah, you all. don't you don't have any lead room. People clearly weren't in the same room very often because the the color would shift and like they do it on a yeah. separate day or something. After a while, it started to look like you know like mug shots. Like their close ups would look like a mug shot because it's like, all right, uh-huh. just just stand here, say the line. All right, number two, you know, stand here, say the line. <laughs> <laughs> and then that didn't help the rhythm either because you've got the weird dialogue but then it's like if they don't have the person to react off of while the scene's happening live you lose some of that energy and then, and then everyone looks oddly oblivious to what is supposed to be happening on the other side yes. of that yeah to answer your question they, no no i don't i don't yeah. think I, I didn't even do that in the beginning when i didn't know what i was doing <laughs> right right and you would just assume that just like, oh, that looks weird. Why does that look weird? Let's not continue to do that, you know? But going back to what you said of like them not being in the same room, but like cutting it together, mm-hmm. I noticed that um, they kept using the same room. And it was definitely like to fill in the conversation because there was a gold frame behind everyone on this wall, right? So it's like two or three people are having a conversation throughout the movie and it's, they're all in the same exact room, but then the opposite is always in a different location. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. They're like, Hey, you just come in. The, the director's like, yeah, hey, we have to do research. Let's or reshoots. Let's just do it all in my office. Just do it now. Right in front of me. Type yeah, thing. That's what it felt like. That, you know? that is what happened from what I had heard in one of these interviews that they just had like this production office and they would keep using the same locations like multiple times and then just kind of change the angle a little bit and like, well, it's a new location now. And even his other movies, because he used Robert Zadar a couple of times. If you go down his resume, you start seeing the same, you know, names there. Okay. I, I, I forget the name of one of his other movies, but it was like something cop, you know, like this is Samurai <laughs> Cop. And then one of his other movies was something cop. You know, Ninja so, cop. <laughs> I, no, it wasn't anything that clever. Even it was yeah, so he might have made a, a series of these movies. But hey, guys, Brian from the future again. The movie I was thinking of was called Hollywood Cop, and it also features many of the same locations. Back to the show. Uh, yeah, it's it, it is bizarre. It looks bizarre <laughs> because it is bizarre. I also want to know, like. What they what they told people they were doing while making this movie. And what I mean by that is like there's certain part, like obviously this is super low budget, but there's this part where they take a boat, there's like some sort of drug smuggling or something. Yeah, yeah. The plot's so convoluted, but whatever. But they get this speedboat and they're kind of like going to a, I don't know, like a lighthouse or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't quite remember. But I just realized that it's like a rented boat. And the name of the business from the boat of the boat rental is on the side of the boat, but yes. there's supposed to be some sort of like cartel. And I'm just like, nah, man, you just rented that boat for like an hour and drove it to this pier and then filmed people getting off. That's what yeah. you did. Yeah. And I think there's even a plot point where they're just like, we need to find out whose boat that is. It's on the side of the boat. <laughs> like, yeah. Just call the phone number. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was absolutely amazing. Like, they don't even know anyone that has just a boat. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't hold that against them so much as just, like, the way that you're using it. 
for that sort of thing. Cause it's like, rather than, and I can sympathize with that aspect of it only in the sense where I, it's something I noticed I used to do a lot. And I, I see a lot of young filmmakers do this as well, where like, rather than admit you don't have the resources to do something, you'll just kind of do it the bad way instead of thinking about, okay, we need to take a step back. This is what we could do instead. So an example of that would be, I really want this moving tracking shot, but we don't have a steady cam. So you do it hand. Yeah. So it just looks all shaky and you're like, yeah, but cool. I got my moving shot, yeah, but it looks bad, <laughs> you know, because you didn't acknowledge your own limitations. <laughs> You just kind of do the thing badly and hope that everything just kind of comes together around it and it never works out that way. And that's exactly what right. that was, where it's like, okay, we need this cartel <laughs> boat. We don't, we need to just get a boat in there. Oh, okay. No one's paying attention to that. They're paying attention to the action. Wrong. Wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, people like us, we definitely notice that stuff. Yeah. Oh, that, that made me laugh when I'm like, that's the boat rental place. That's good. like, you know, I wanted to look it up, but I'm like, there's no way, you know, it's 30 years ago that that place still exists. I'm like, I got to do some research and some digging, <laughs> you know. Did yeah. you rent a boat to a movie production company in the early 90s? <laughs> I would have asked. Sure, why you not? Know? But man, no, it's just like that all over the place. And I wonder, like, it's so odd that just because of the popularity from one clip that, like, now there's a cult following, like, Rift Tracks did like uh, a live event for two nights. So that was like the first time this movie was in the theaters was because of Rift Tracks, mm -hmm. you know? Well, you, you know, you did something right then. Yeah. I mean, man, like, I'll tell you what, if I ever made a movie and then Rift Tracks got a hold of it, I think I would retire, you know? I think I just call it at that point because you would have had to fail on so many levels that I don't think that even teaching yourself anything or improving would make a fucking difference at that point, you know? Like, yeah, yeah I got all those things wrong, and I'll do it better next time. What if yeah, just Rift Tracks got a hold of your movie <laughs> that you never released 30 years later? Well, I mean, the damage is already done. <laughs> My career never went anywhere. Never went anywhere. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess at this point, what difference does it make? You're already at rock bottom. The only mm -hmm. way to go up, only other place to go is up i guess rift tracks at in that situation would be okay i'd be like yeah go ahead <laughs> you know that was 30 years ago go ahead and have your fun with it now yeah but didn't help me anything <laughs> yeah in a in a certain light you can take the piss out of anything although movies like this i i feel like they're you know kind of have it coming but you know it, it's it's really interesting too because like we've talked about some of the varying levels of ineptitude at things and just kind of like going along, making it fast, really run and gun filmmaking. There was a lot of stuff too, that like even the actors were sort of like actively sabotaging this. Cause it's like, this isn't going to be good. Like, let's just, you know, which is, you know, I mean, in and of itself is pretty disrespectful, but sure, you know, cause like the, a lot of the fight scenes were actually choreographed by this martial arts, Aikido master and you know they're like okay do the thing after 15 minutes of rehearsal and then 
mark it on and start making these like elvis gestures you know like okay do the karate and then he's doing kind of like the devil horn kung fu fu thing which you know uh-huh. yeah it's just just being a dick but at the same time they're just like well there's only going to be one take none of this is going to come out good let's just get through it let's just get through it on to the next on to the next another funny part that i remember in this movie was the van explosion like how slow this van rolled into like a low sand bank right and then it exploded. Mm-hmm. It was just like, what the fuck? And then, you know, and then I, the guy comes running out on fire. Yeah, who's completely different, you know, because this guy will do the fire stunt, but the original guy driving obviously wouldn't. So my question is, why not just have the stunt guy who's going to do the fire sequence drive the van in the first place instead of having it so glaringly different that when it happened, I thought it was a different person, not the guy that drove the van. I was like, who's this guy on fire? Oh, it's the van driver. But this guy doesn't look anything like the van driver. Yeah. Just some food for thought. He's just driving a van. He could have been the stunt guy who wanted who wanted to do the fire stunt. Yeah. Yeah. Or he could have been like, man, I'm not risking my life for this. You can get someone else and cut and run. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, like, with this low of a budget, which I am not actually, I don't even know how much this movie costs to make. I couldn't find that information out, but uh, it seems like with this low of a budget, I can't imagine any of the stunt people getting paid that much or it being safe at all, mm-hmm. you know? Well, that stunt really wasn't because, you know, once again, uh, in, in an interview, the uh, the actors actually put him out. I mean, they do this on camera. You can see it, but it's not like you know, it, it's not edited in a way to make it look like the actors are rushing in and being the heroes. It's like <laughs> they ran in, covered the guy with a blanket, hit him with a fire, you know, hit him with a fire extinguisher, cover him with a blanket, and then <laughs> no, no fire department. They're just out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like, we got to set you on fire fast or else, you know, the cops might come and arrest us for doing this. Mm-hmm. It's, it reeks of we're doing this without a permit right now, you know? Well, that's California in general, because they're so savvy to the movie industry that they will shut you down for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the the fact that they were, I mean, that's probably another part of the reason why they were going so fast on this movie is they just didn't really have permission to be anywhere. <laughs> it's, it's right. Hit it and get it, right. hit it and get it, keep moving, keep moving. You know, very much the Ed Wood thing, like even down to the, well, you don't want to get a second take? No, no, no it's fine. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah, no second takes. That's amazing to me, man. Like, it's not a good thing to ever do that in a movie. At least give yourself a few. But, man, like, one and done for that long? Oh, boy. But, yeah. What do you think about the that's final? That's why none of it turns out good. <laughs> it's... None of it did. There's so many awkward pauses. Oh, and the weird ADR, which is, like, 80% of all conversations. Mm-hmm. Or don't. 80% of all ADR was the director just like warbling his voice or changing it or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and legend has it. It's also uh, the two police cause they were brought in to do their own ADR. Yeah. And then they yeah. would just do voices for other characters. <laughs> <laughs> of course they would. Oh, my God. No, I had that written down, too. Like, this whole movie must have been done without sound or recorded too hot. Because the stuff that they have that matches up is recorded way too hot. 
a lot of the movie just does not sound good at all because it's like we're pinging right we're pinging the top of that thing the whole time so even when they did have a sound guy it doesn't sound very good and then the rest of the time it's adr you're missing crucial sound effects like when he's putting the Mm -hmm. handcuffs on him there's no handcuff sounds punch sound of entire punching sound effects are missing well even the punches are missing i mean some of those don't even connect very true yeah you know yeah um what'd you think about the final fight and like between samurai cop and the dar it's just i don't know what what do you call that when they speed it up like that like low cranking high cranking i don't know just sped up who knows it's just sped up yeah it's it didn't it wasn't fast enough so we need we want to try to make this look more impressive than it is so they speed it up they did that with like the car chases too I mean, all throughout the movie, mm-hmm. like that's that's Keystone Cop stuff. We're like, they, but they sped it up for like comedic purposes, and then here it's like, no, no, it makes it look more exciting, like big, big American chase movie. And what one of the worst examples of that to me was the guy falls out of the van, like they're chasing. Yeah, uh-huh. but I don't, I don't remember if it was the van that blew up or what. It's been a couple of weeks since I watched this, but. It was the van that blew up or another van, kind of irrelevant. Someone fell out of the van. They were right on his tail and they're like, oh, no. And it's so he falls out in a very low speed. Mm -hmm. Then they speed it up and then they kind of cut to him in the car like, oh, no. And then they cut to just the guy laying on the road acting like the car just hit him. So he just like shakes and then rolls to the side yeah <laughs> that's this whole movie like with it's just none of it connects the way that it should yeah yeah uh none of it does and i think that's also why it's like i think i've realized that like it's hard for me to enjoy these types of movies just because it's like nothing works at all nothing, you know no, and there's plenty works. of movies there's plenty of bad movies that i enjoy a lot you know, but this kind of so out there that it's so terrible, it's good type of thing just isn't in my wheelhouse. That's what I'm coming to find out, you know, because it's like I can praise Long Kiss Goodnight all day, you know, mm-hmm. that's same with uh, Deep Blue Sea. Anyways, it doesn't work. Well, back to the fight scene, right? It, yeah. The big climactic samurai duel. <laughs> that's <laughs> Oh my, oh my God. Yeah. Now it was kind of killing me how they were blocking with the swords because, you know, those were, you just, those swords aren't meant to like be swung like a broadsword. And because like broadswords are kind of flat, you know, like, yeah, they'll, they'll chop you good, but like the samurai sword is kind of an edge thing and you're meant to, you know, use in a slightly different way. And, and I don't, I, I know that, the star didn't have any samurai sword. I'm sorry, Japanese sword training, but I I don't think Robert Sitar did either. He feels no. like he should know better too with all the fight scenes that he's been in. But again, like 15 minutes of rehearsal. Okay, now you're doing it. It didn't work. It doesn't matter. We're on to the next thing. Because like when those guys go to fight him in the nightclub, like that's probably even worse than with with the the swords because the guy's got the baseball bat and he's supposed to be doing this figure eight motion but he looks like he's kind of 
you know, doing a figure eight motion. Like making an eight in the air instead of like rotating the like bat. Like Yeah, just kind of flipping it around, trying yeah. to be slick with it, you know. Oh, I, yeah. I will say, you know, uh, Mark Anon had a pretty good move there where at least when he was spinning it around, he kind of like spun it around the back of his hand and grabbed it once. And, you know, it's <laughs> it, at least when you're watching, it's like, oh, so, something halfway flashy looking that actually kind of worked. <laughs> you know, yeah, good for him. I was impressed with how white his teeth were. These are like the whitest teeth I've ever seen almost like a light source in and of itself, you know, hmm. just, and, you know, with the high contrast of the fake tan that Samurai Cop had, you know, just so fucking bright. Like That's the one thing that in that fight sequence right at the end, that's what I thought as well. I was like, man, he's got some bright fucking teeth. I, well, you know, it, everything in that movie was like a, a nuclear bomb was going off <laughs> with the level of lighting that's hot, like the love scene is lit yeah. at the same level of, you know, the scene in, in the police chief's office where it's just yeah. every light in the world is turned on. Like there's no shadows anywhere. No, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I saw a shadow in this movie. Oh, my God. And, and until just, they got outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just like blows me away that like in the moment, they thought that, like these were good ideas or like this was going to come together and like it this movie was going to be the stepping stone to like bigger things and just like how could you expect this movie to be any good while you're on set like i just don't get it well i don't know? think they did i like i said i he he's been very you know kind of honest in in his interviews there were like you know even at a point they were trying to sabotage it because like, oh, this is too bad. They're not going to, you know, I just want to get a couple shots out of this for my demo reel kind of a thing. Because they're like, yeah, no, we know it's not bad. Like, oh, they won't use that. They'll make us do a second take. Nope, we're moving on. So <laughs> the 80s were kind of notorious for, and you know, it must have hung around in the 90s there as well of just, we need cheap product to get into video stores. And that must have been why the director kept getting the money to finish this thing. Cause it was like some holdover financing or something. I don't know. This right. is all, this is all a lot of teen leaf reading, but that's how a lot of movies made their way onto, you know, before Rift tracks, mystery science theater, there were movies in the eighties or the sort of ones that were just like ground out in like two weeks straight, straight to beta. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on to the next, right. on to the next, on to the next. Oh, man. But did you know there's a sequel? I did, because you had told me that when we were initially talking about how unbelievable this movie felt like it was. <laughs> this could yeah. be real. Yeah. So, yeah, in 2015, it got a sequel. Produced and directed by the same guy, the original guy. Really? Yeah. Hey guys, Brian here again from the future with one final correction. I promise last time, this show anyway, it was not directed by the same gentleman. Amir Shervan had passed away in 2007. Samurai Cop 2 Deadly Vengeance was directed by Gregory Hadanaka. Back to the show. So I think like if we ever do a sequel to a shitty movie, I would put myself into 
you know, this position again to go over that movie since it's the same people making a follow up to this trash can. Well, well, that was after it blew up. And yeah, they yeah. Kinda, well, I, I don't know about blew up because, you know, it, whatever, it's a YouTube video. But like that horny nurse thing kind of went viral. And then, you know, they, hey, we can get money for this. And, you know, again, this is the <laughs> era where it's like you you can kind of get paid to make bad movies again if it's of the, if all of the stars kind of align. And I, I guess they were going to make it about the partner teaming up with Joe's daughter. <laughs> and well, OK. And he was going to be like dead or something like that because they didn't know what happened to Mark there. And maybe this is a good time to pivot into that. But then he his daughter found out that this blew up because, you know, she's on the Internet and a, a young kid and they're highly connected to those sorts of things and right she said hey we should make a video that the samurai cops alive and then he made that video and then they got a hold of him and then that's how he wound up starring in samurai cop 2 <laughs> which is pretty cool mm -hmm. i mean if they're having fun with it and kind of making making money off how silly this one was i'm not gonna fault them for that but man i mentioned earlier that yeah uh, he went to prison, right? Good old Mark Hannon went to prison in 1992, which is a year after this well, movie was finished. Made. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, why the hell's that? Apparently for an armed robbery stealing of a Rembrandt painting from televangelist Gene Scott's University Cathedral in Los Angeles. So this Rembrandt was stolen. Apparently it was an inside job because two men broke into the university cathedral. They're wearing, you know, like face masks or whatever. They were armed. Uh, they had tied up two custodians that were still working and as security guards at this uh, cathedral, right? Mm -hmm. But the uh, one of the security guards heard these armed robbers talking and he recognized the voice as a different security guard whose name is Brizano or Brizeno. And if that name sounds familiar, he was one of the cops charged in the Rodney King beating, you know, from 1991, I believe he, or maybe the trial was in 91. Mm -hmm. And uh, while working or while on trial for the Rodney King case, he was asked the question of this uh, robbery at this cathedral. He completely denies it. And it also can't be proven that he was one of the robbers because the security that or the security that was there was actually hired by a third party. And no one no one who worked at the cathedral or like this televangelist or, or who worked with the televangelist Gene Scott exactly knew who was working because that was kind of like outsourced, right? So they didn't really know who was working. So it's kind of like he said, she said. But yeah, one of the custodians recognized the voice. Apparently, Matt Hannon, the samurai cop, was a getaway driver for this armed robbery of this Ram Rembrandt. It gets really weird, though, for me, because um, do you know what provenance is? Like when you talk about artwork or like master paintings, have you heard of that? 
I mean, I'm familiar with the word providence, but not as it applies to okay chain of ownership with paintings. Yeah. So, like, what that is is when you when you're talking about like fine art paintings or uh, uh, original work, there's a um, a list of ownership, right? So you can track it back to when it was sold, when it came into like the new owner's hands, you know, and that's supposed to legitimize or or basically like the opposite be like this is a fraud fraudulent painting if they can't recognize who was the owner where they got it from and kind of you know see its lineage so to speak okay so yeah because like i buy animation cells and i make a point to get the certificates of authenticity and I, I don't that's just, basically what that is i don't yep. i don't just buy them off ebay i get them from art dealerships and art galleries and things like that okay so uh, the FBI has a, um, a branch to uh, for provenance uh, and art theft. And since they could not find any listings or any history of this painting, they refused to get involved in the investigation because they were already under the assumption that this was fake anyways. Because if there's no history to the painting, it really doesn't mean anything. You're only saying that it's a Rembrandt if there's no history. Like, mm -hmm. you have to have, like, a form, you know, like, some sort of literature that says this is where it came from, or else, hey, you, you bought it at the mall, for all, we, for all we know, you know? Yeah. So they never got involved. Um, but then, um, like, six months later, uh, the Rembrandt painting was, uh, was found at the stunt director's home for Samurai Cop. So it's like they all knew each other. All the people and Matt Hannon and the stunt coordinator knew all these people that stole the uh, Rembrandt painting, supposedly stole the Rembrandt painting. And, you know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but maybe it was a Rembrandt or maybe it wasn't either, you know. After that, uh, Matt Hannon was charged and he spent like over a year in prison for being a part of this crime. It's so crazy to me. To me, that seems more interesting than the samurai cop like the samurai cop could be just a thing in the background and they and someone could make a movie about this rembrandt painting that might not be a rembrandt painting that was stolen and then found at the stunt coordinator's home you think that's more interesting i mean the, the oh yeah the true life crime yeah i mean that's certainly an interesting wrinkle in the whole twisted history of the samurai cop <laughs> here right Right. But the interesting thing is like a Rembrandt painting is it's usually a lot of money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not a million dollars for a painting, because it's not like the guy's alive, you know. Uh, but this they did find out that the painting was worth a hundred thousand dollars, which just seems super low, which also makes it more interesting to me, because what I would like to know is if the people who stole the painting, if they knew it was not a very memorable Rembrandt piece or what, like I, what, and that's the only thing that they stole in their robbery was this one painting. So it's like they went in to steal it for a purpose because that's the only thing that they took. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of that stuff, you, you even said it was an inside job. And a lot of that stuff is people robbed by people that, they already know because someone's right because someone's shooting their mouth off or it's like hey i got this and then you know 
before you know it, Frank's shady friend <laughs> o- overhears it because he's just there because he brought him along, but he's cool anyway. And then he goes and tells his friends, and that's how they kind of solve a lot of those crimes. But um, I- I'm sure it was just something stupid like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But man, I find that really interesting. So he did serve some time for it, but he got out. Uh, and now, like, if you see him on social media, he's pretty he's pretty wholesome. Like his a lot of his interactions still revolve around Samurai Cop, but he kind of loves loves being like a D list celebrity, you know, so to speak. Yeah. So he always engages with people who, you know, bring up Samurai Cop. Well, that's nice of him. And that's that's good. Yeah. that He's, you know, at least got a sense of humor about it. Um, hopefully he's found a way to, you know, straighten his life out. I because, you know, again, he's got a daughter. Right. At, at least so. And with something like this, like he might have been like the driver. But did he know what the crime was? You know, did he know what they were doing? It's still like you still shouldn't do something like that. But like there's kind of levels to stuff like this. Not all criminals who do something against the law is the same. Well, yeah, I, you know, it's all again, way too much tea leaf reading. And I don't want to start making assumptions about other people's intentions. Sure. Could could have just been down on his luck. Who knows? It's uh, hopefully he's found a way to, you know, do something a little better with with himself and whatnot. And now that some of this um, (laughs) belated, infamy i you know i wouldn't say that he's famous so much as infamous for right for this movie here you know at least you can kind of enjoy that and have a laugh about it and the people who do want this sort of thing is uh their cult movie that they can enjoy it as well so i so okay so you hated this one so much so you didn't see the i didn't see the sequel either i wasn't gonna no no i did not i didn't even watch a trailer i was so like turned off to samurai copy but I would do it for science, you know, if need be. Mm-hmm. I would put myself in that situation. But I didn't. I didn't research it other than like, oh, they made a sequel, like it, six years ago. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I just don't see how it could recapture any of that same flavor. Like it, it, you would be trying to do it, and it would come off as trying to. So I, yeah, I don't know, because like people do try to make these movies per, like purposefully bad movies. Like Velocipaster. And it, it to me, it just never rings true because there's there is something about this where somebody was actually trying. And I, I think it's that naivety of think, you know, English is your second language and thinking like this is your idea of American cinema and then just jumping right into it. We're going to make a feature film without building up a couple small films or even small roles as an actor to really kind of shape like, okay, I saw this, this didn't work sort of thing. And, you know, before you know it, it's, it's like you, it's really just putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't try to do that because when you try to do it, it just never works. Yeah. I mean, I would be super interested to see what it would be like since it's all the same people, you know, if it still has like this this level or lack thereof of filmmaking to it, mm-hmm. I doubt it though. And I understand what you're saying, like because this is just kind of like a time capsule moment in movie making, right? Like you couldn't repeat something like this intentionally. This is all like, yeah, you know, an honest attempt at making a movie. 
So to try to overthink that, to do that again, I think is almost impossible. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And on the other hand, you know, you've got like your, that's why I say like, it's very much like the room. Like I I just see those parallels all or troll two or something like that. Oh man. Where you hear stories of like, God, like why is the dialogue so stilted? (laughs) <laughs> and it, it, like in that one, it's because the director is like, no, no, you say it like I say it. And then well, yeah. you're, you're not speaking English correctly. And then but you have to say it. And then it, you then you just look like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, normally, yeah. that doesn't work. Like most people who understand directing actors, you know, again, maybe it comes back to a language barrier thing. When you try to direct people like, no, 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 say it like I said it. And you do your your line reading. That might work for one in 10 people, but the other nine just they don't it either. They don't have that level of mimicry or the way that you wrote it doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't fit with their rhythms. And then that's the point when, like, even if you have good dialogue, it comes off as stilted because it's like you have your idea of how to say it. and You're just not letting them be natural about it. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I guess maybe that's what makes actors actors, right? Like that ability to kind of like understand how they are speaking. Because mm-hmm. it's really difficult to understand how you are saying, like you personally are your voice. It's hard to understand how your voice changes, you know? Because that's for me, it just almost feels like it's Charlie Brown's parents, right? Okay. Well, I'm hearing my own voice. Wah, wah, but wah, to wah. like, yeah. But to everyone else, it's like I say things in a specific way, apparently. You know, uh-huh. but I, I'm just hearing, you know, dumbass shit come out of my mouth. 24 7 right where it's like you really got to get smarter someday <laughs> you know <laughs> stop saying that shit <laughs> fair enough <laughs> you got anything else no i mean i okay here's here's my final word on this everyone's allowed to have fun with this movie i just don't know if these types of movies are for me i'm sure that there's going to be many people that would enjoy this movie for what it is and have fun with it. But man, I just, I don't think I have that capacity anymore. It's so odd. I just don't think so. Like most comedies, you kind of got to watch them with an audience. Cause if you sit there and watch it by yourself, it's either going to work or not work. Like I said, yeah, this that's... movie, you have to have a very specific mindset to go into it. Right. For me, it took about 20 minutes to like, all right, like this is the only thing I'm going to, derived from this and like all of my notes are like can you believe they did this like look what about this thing what about the van falling out of the van (laughs) and it's just those kind of things it's not really like anything of sitting back and enjoying it you know maybe with go ahead sorry i was just gonna say left to my own devices i don't really watch a ton of these movies either but when i'm with friends of mine who are like you know super cinephiles like they will pull these kind of movies out and then, you know, maybe we'll follow it with like a, you know, better movie or something like that. But there's a lot of beer. There's a lot of joke telling, you know, we're talking about other stuff, talking over the movie sort of thing. Whereas yeah. If, if you're just sitting there watching it, like you just you lay back and it just happens to you. Like you're, that's probably why you're having more of a miserable experience with it. Maybe something to try next time we do one of these movies is to watch it together, because I just while you were talking about this, like. A couple weeks ago at Motor City Nightmares, it's like we watched like three movies in a sitting, you know, and mm-hmm. like those were really fun. There was definitely more than a few moments where we just started talking over the movie and saying shit that we thought was funny, you know, mm-hmm. and that made it like much more fun experience. But 
maybe that's that's the that's the hidden key for me. Yeah, maybe let's try <laughs> it out next time with uh you know when when you pick one of these real winners out of the trash can, <laughs> we'll uh we'll try and do a watch through together. <laughs> sure, sure. That would be perfect. Do, uh, for you, do you have anything else to add? I've said it. That the only thing yeah. that I I'd like to know is just how uncomfortable it was to film those love scenes. Oh my god! No, they that was probably the best part for everyone in that whole fucking oh, process. Man. I don't know. Like you know, except it's the female. I mean, even for the for the guy, like it's awkward enough as it is. You know, they're only going to do one take on everything, and it's like he's got nowhere to hide. You're in that speedo, so like if you pop a boner. It's <laughs> good call. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not even like covered over or like uh, under the sheets kind of stuff. It's like straight up. You just fell out of the, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. <laughs> Let's start doing some on top of the clothes makeout stuff again. Like this is yeah. like some it's like an alien's idea of what people having sex actually is like in practice. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. It's just thoroughly bizarre. That's it. Yeah. Everything else, it's like, yep, nope, they fucked that up. Yep, that's weird. Oh, oh, they sabotaged that. And then you get to hear, like, oh, my God, like, I feel so bad for everybody involved in this. I'll leave it with this. This was my last note after everything. And this is what I wrote after the first time I watched it. A bona fide jaw-dropping exploration of bullshit on every level. That's what I wrote. Those are my feelings. So with that, give us a follow on our social media platforms. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Post Credits Podcast. Or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or other podcast listening platforms. Uh, we'd appreciate it. It gets the word out a little bit more. See, it can be done in one take. It just... <laughs> Yeah, you know what I would appreciate, too, is if you like this or any of the other discussions, there's about a million of these at this point. If you would tell one other friend, like, don't just share it on Facebook. Don't tweet about it. Tell one other person about the podcast. I would really appreciate it. Tell them Matt sent you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and send your <laughs> your complaints to. Hi, postcreditspodcast at gmail.com. Depending on what you write, I might reply. If it's nice, I will. If, or if you not, might not hear back from me. <laughs> yeah. If not, you lost. Yeah. You, lo you lost face. Yeah. Shoot! Shoot him! You got him. We you didn't even get to the club line. What? That's fine though. Like, <laughs> it's. I wrote it down. <laughs> I wanted to bring it up, but I didn't know if it was appropriate. But yeah, it feels like someone stuck a big club up my ass, and it hurts. Mm -hmm. Got to find a way to get it out of there. And then he just closes his eyes and. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just one thing after another with this movie. <laughs>